Uh, good morning again. Uh, my name is Richard. I'm the pastoral intern of the church. Um, and Riley, as we prayed before, he's in Ethiopia. Um, and so today, um, by God's grace, I have the privilege to uh, share um, the message with you. But before I start, why don't I pray um, and ask the Lord to use this message for the glory of his name. So let me quickly pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are good. Lord, you are gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. And Lord, today, as we come before you to hear your words, Lord, I pray that above anything, O Lord, that we would look to you, our greatest joy, our saviour, our peace, our guide, our refuge. Lord, won't you bless the preaching of your word. Lord, I ask that I would become less and you would become great, Lord. May you shine brightly through this passage today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was just the other day um, at home. I was uh, vacuuming at home. Rebs was at the side. Whoa, yeah, whoa. <laughs> I do vacuum once in a while, but I was vacuuming at that point in time. And uh, Rebs was in the kitchen. She was doing something. And she had turned on a p- podcast. Um, I can't exactly remember who it was, but you know, I wasn't really listening to it. I was just vacuuming. But there was a moment in that podcast where I had heard the podcaster say something, and for some reason, even though I wasn't really concentrating that hard, for that split moment, I heard what she said, uh, and it, I was able to process it, and it affected my heart all in that short period of time. And I remember saying, Rebs, that, that was deep. That was profound. And... To start off today, I want to kind of share with you what I heard, and maybe something you've all heard before, but for me, it was my first time hearing it, and it was actually a quote um, by Elizabeth Elliot, and this is what it says, joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. Take that half a second to process it for yourself. Joy is not the absence of suffering but the presence of God. And I wonder, as you think about it, how much do you agree or disagree with that statement? Because honestly speaking, in the trials and sufferings that we go through in the moment, you know, don't you just wish, don't you just wish and think, if I just didn't have that suffering in my life right now, I would be so much more joyful if I just wasn't going through this hardship again and again and again, oh man, life would be so, so much better. But in our text today from 1 Peter, the very word of God, he reminds us our joy is not dependent on whether we're suffering or whether we're not suffering, but because our joy is in him who has given us his son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation we inherit through him. And so to unpack that a little bit, why don't we open up our Bibles to 1 Peter 1. Our main text is going to be from verse 6 to 9, but today I'm going to start reading from verse 3 all the way to verse 9. 
1 Peter 1, verse 3, all the way to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And our text for today starts here, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. And today, I've titled my sermon, Rejoicing in Our Suffering. And I have three points that I want to uh, share with you today with the aim to remind us that we can, we can rejoice in our sufferings. And to, to, to do that, I've got three points. First point is we need to have, number one, a right perspective of suffering. Number two, the reason for suffering. And number three, rejoicing in our suffering. So why don't we jump straight into our first point, having a right perspective of suffering. Last week, by the grace of God, Pastor Riley did such a great job in unpacking the hope and praise that we have in Christ. That by meditating on the eternal hope, you know, the hope number one that is established in the work of Christ, the hope number two that is guaranteed for you, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and the hope number three that is guarded by the power of God. That's the promise for you. And as you hear that, friends, isn't that such great news? Isn't God worthy of praise? Doesn't that bring you great joy and relief in your life? And so in the beginning of verse 6 of our passage today, Peter says this, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. He's saying, don't forget that. I'm going to say a few things now, but don't forget that promise. You have hope that is established in Christ, guaranteed and guarded for you. Do not forget that and rejoice in that. And then follows the words from Peter. In this you rejoice, though. And he says, though, because he wants to briefly shift focus from the certainties of future glory to the more dismal realities of the present. And that is the reality of suffering. He wants to present what suffering and trials are into a right perspective for the hearers of this letter. Because, let's face it, even for us as Christians, for us sitting here today, 
what is suffering? You know, what, what are trials? Is it things that we experience because we've sinned? Is it Satan attacking us? Is it just pure bad luck? Well, this is how Peter is explaining it to us today, so that we might have a right, a right perspective of, of what suffering is in our suffering. And the first thing he says is, your suffering, it's only for a little while. Really? Only for a little while? You know, suffering, I feel like, somehow has this ability to slow time down, don't you reckon? Like, I'm a runner. I don't look like a runner, but I do run. And uh, I love long-distance running. And one of the training methods that we have in running is called interval training. So basically, interval training is, for example, you'd run fast for one minute, and then you'd rest for one minute. And then you'd run fast again for a minute, and then you'd rest for one minute. Run fast one minute, rest for one minute. And you'll do that repetitively. But for some reason, when you're running fast for one minute, it's a struggle. It is tough. It's painful. But boy, it seems like the longest one minute ever, doesn't it? And then when you finally get to rest for one minute, the rest is the shortest one minute. (laughs) But in the same way, in the moment of our sufferings too, it seems like eternity. For some of us, this trial is still ongoing. But what Peter is saying is that this little while is only a little while in comparison to the hope in Christ forever, for eternity. And perhaps some of us are sitting here already saying, I already know that. But in the midst of our suffering, don't we easily forget that? It's only for a little while compared to the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us for all eternity. And so Peter is setting a right perspective of suffering by saying, friends, our suffering, it's only for a little while. The second right perspective, he says, is this. You will go through suffering. He's saying for God's people, it's actually inevitable. You see, when the text says, if necessary, it's not saying maybe you'll go through suffering and maybe you won't, but rather the emphasis is, as Christians, your trial that you go through, it's not by luck. The trial and suffering is not on you because of some random, unknown, bad luck, caused by fate, I don't know, forces of nature that was fallen on you by chance. No, but it's what we go through because God in his sovereignty, he wills it if necessary. This if necessary is to remind us that our present sufferings are not random. Your suffering is not a random act, but it is under the sovereign hand of God. So again, Peter wants you to have a right perspective in your suffering. It is not random. God is sovereign over it. The third right perspective is that our sufferings are various. We have various trials. 
You see, for the recipients of this letter, as exiles, their main suffering was probably persecution. Persecution for the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we may think that the sufferings that we need to go through or the sufferings that we go through, for it to be ordained by God, it has to be persecution for the gospel. But Peter, in this text, doesn't say persecution, but he says various trials. Why? Because our trials are going to be various in nature. And I'm so glad he says various trials, because we all go through different types of trials in different seasons, don't we? The trials we face may be calamities in life, The trials we face may be years long. The trials we face may make us weep. They may be big trials, but also the trials of various kinds can be small too, lasting for a few minutes. Trials that just give us a bit of sweat down our forehead. You see, the various trials applies not only to disasters and catastrophes in life, but also to those little everyday troubles that we go through. And so Paul gives us a right perspective and says these trials, they come in various forms. We need to have a right perspective of suffering. Perhaps you can liken it like a parent taking a child to, to the doctor for a needle. I know we tried this with Nora when she was four. It seemed to work. I don't know if, it's, if, it's, if it would work for anyone else, but it worked for us. But what we tried to do was we tried to give her a right perspective of this. You know, letting her know that it's only like a pinch. It's really quick. It's going to make you strong. And don't worry, you can sit on daddy's lap. We'll be there. You see, we were trying to give her the right perspective. And for us as parents or aunties or uncles or teachers, I don't know, don't we all try and give our kids a right perspective of the things that they will go through in life? And in the same way, friends, Peter gives us the right perspective, the right perspective of the reality of of all our trials as we go through them. He reminds us, Don't be surprised when we go through these various trials. It will come in some form, but when it does come, remember it's only for a little while. And remember, God's sovereign hand is over that trial. Well, you might be saying, if I'm going to go through these trials and he's sovereign over it, then uh, what's the reason behind this? What's the purpose? Which leads me to my second point, reason for suffering. Reason for suffering. Firstly, let's read again from verse 6 to 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you see what Peter says there in the beginning of verse 7? After he gives the people a right perspective of suffering, he writes, so that, so that. That's Peter saying, I'm going to tell you the purpose now. 
The reason behind the various trials is this. The purpose is this. It's to test the genuineness of our faith. It's to test the genuineness of your faith. Now, a couple of things here I want to quickly uh, define. And we're kind of going to go back to basics, perhaps. And the first thing I want to define is this. What is faith? Well, I've asked an expert, uh, Pastor John Piper, uh, from the book uh, Future Grace. This is how he defines faith. Faith is a being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. Not just an assent to truths, past or future, but heartfelt valuing and treasuring of all that God promises to be for us in Jesus. That was a mouthful, right? Basically, faith is heartfelt. Our souls agreeing and valuing and treasuring all that's in God's promises written in here for us in Jesus. That is faith. So the trials and sufferings are testing the genuineness of when it says, perhaps taste and see that the Lord is good. When it says he is for us and not against us. When it says there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. When it says a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you do not despise. Does your soul agree with those promises? Do you value them deeply in your heart? Do you treasure them so that next time you are in suffering, you don't go to the things of the world, but you turn to God's promises and what it is for us in Jesus? It's testing whether we genuinely believe. The second word I want to define is test. This is a hard one. I said we'd go back to basics. In fact, the meaning behind the word test, it actually is to refine. And Peter gives us an analogy to help us understand the meaning of being refined. It's like gold, he says. You see, when gold is initially dug up, it's gold. The identity of the rock is gold. But within the gold are many impurities attached to it. And so to purify the gold, what it does, what we do, is we we refine it through fire. And you see, the refinement of fire is not a process completed to destroy the gold. It's there to refine the gold, to clean out the impurities. And so like a jeweler, perhaps putting his most precious metal in the crucible, so too does God prove us in the furnace so that our faith in Christ is refined and proved through fire. You see, the fire is the suffering that we go through and the gold is us, it's you. And so God refines us. He puts us through the fiery furnace of trial and suffering, not so that we would perish and not so to be burned up for eternal damnation, but so as to strengthen our faith in him. 
Friends, think about the trials that you're going through right now or have been through, whether big or small. Is it chronic illness? Is it a cold? Sick kids, kids that won't sleep at night, issues at work, struggles in relationships, studies, struggle in finances, things going on in the family. In the difficulty of this, when you feel that your life is crashing down on you, when you feel like you can't sustain this any longer, when you feel despair and helplessness, how do you respond? Because in that time, in fact, your faith is being refined. Has the suffering caused you to trust the faithfulness of God? Or has it caused you to turn away from God in bitterness and anger? In your suffering, has it caused you to come to the Lord with nothing and to say nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling? Or instead, has it built up self-confidence, thinking that you can overcome this on your own? In your suffering, has it driven you to the Saviour again and again and again and again? Or instead, has it driven you away from the Saviour? Now, I'm not asking these questions to make you feel like you're failing in your faith. Peter is not saying here that God puts us through trials and refinements to determine whether we have failed in our faith. God is not putting us through our trials to put us in a trap where he can pinpoint that time where you've messed up and fallen away in your faith and to say, failed. No, not at all. Remember who Peter is speaking to. Remember who the audience is. He's speaking to those who are born again, who have an inheritance already and is guarded by God. And in the same way, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are a redeemed people, saved through the blood of Christ. You have faith in him. You have given your life to Jesus. But friends, isn't it true that in our faith in Christ, we still mess up? Our faith in him, honestly speaking, like gold, has many impurities attached to it. In our trials, my hope is in Christ, but at times we put our trust in ourselves, in other things that is not of Christ. And in those moments, remember this, God is refining you. Perhaps he says, hey, you went there before, but there was no rest, was there? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't go elsewhere. He's beginning to enable you to agree, have faith, value deeply in your heart and treasure his promises. That's perhaps one way the Lord is refining you. So the next time when you are going through another trial, perhaps you're reminded that your rest comes from Christ alone. And then you go to him again. As born-again believers of Christ, the reason behind our suffering is so that the Lord would refine your faith in Him. 
And as he refines you more and more and more and more, you will experience a greater joy in his goodness and greatness. And on that day, when he does return, you know, gold, it will perish. You, not so. Instead, it says they will, instead, in, sorry, instead it says there will be praise and glory and honor for you. And you'll look back at those sufferings and you'll say, that was only for a little while and the Lord did refine me through it. And that's a purpose for our suffering. Then as we go through our trials and as we are being refined through the struggles that we go through, what is our response or what should our response be? Which leads me to point number three, rejoicing in suffering. You know, how are we to practically respond in our suffering? Well, before we get into this, the way we practically encounter and respond to suffering is going to be case by case. For example, if you're going through abuse, the first thing I'm going to say is not you need to rejoice, but probably you need to report, right? It's case by case. But what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say here is undergirding all our suffering. There's going to be things that happen first, but foundationally through our suffering, we need to be rejoicing. And I think Peter is clearly telling us and showing us how to. Let me elaborate here. Number one, practical point number one, he's telling us, he's telling us we need to rejoice. Sometimes it sounds too simple to be true, doesn't it? And in fact, it's counterintuitive. When suffering, the last thing I really want to do is rejoice. But Peter, he says, rejoice, rejoice. If you look closely at the structure of these nine verses or so, he sandwiches suffering with rejoice. What I mean by this is look at verse 6. Before he goes into the topic of suffering, he says, rejoice. And then he talks about all the suffering, and as he finishes his talk on suffering, what does he call his people to do? He says, rejoice again with joy that is inexpressible. But the key is, if he's calling us to rejoice, what are we to rejoice in? Well, in verse 8 and 9, Peter says this. Read with me. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Who have they not seen but love? Jesus. Who do they now not see but believe in? It's Jesus. Who do they rejoice with joy inexpressible? It's Jesus. Even Apostle Paul emphasizes this point as well in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says this, Rejoice in who? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In our sufferings, we aren't called to rejoice in the things of the world or rejoice in the circumstances that we are in, but we are called to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in Jesus. And when? Always. 
in the good, in the bad, in our sufferings, in our trials and hardships, we are to rejoice because our joy, our source of joy is in Jesus. And the recipients of this letter, they're able to find joy in Jesus. You know why? Because, they're, yes, they're looking at the mountaintop where their hope is established, guaranteed, and guarded, but all achieved how? It's all achieved through the cross. You know why you can find joy in your suffering? Because you too are looking at the cross. And if you're not, I exhort you, turn and look at the cross, at Jesus. Friends, look at the cross. Friends, look at the cross. Because when you look at the cross, you'll stop thinking like perhaps what I do. When I'm suffering, sometimes I think, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why am I situations this bad? Why now? Why, why, why me? I look to me and my situation, but as we look deeply into the cross of Christ, who initially on his throne in heaven came down on the cross, our question starts to change. It's not why me, but it's why Jesus? When, when you were on the throne of grace, would you come down? Why would you go through shame, weakness, hardship, sorrow, trials, suffering, and death on the cross? Why would you do that for me? Well, he did it because of the joy set before him. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before me, what did he do? He endured the cross. He did it because he loves you. He loves us. He did it so that we might be saved from the pits of our sins, and he did it to glorify God through it. He suffered for you and me when he didn't need to, but he did. And because of his suffering for us, you know what we obtain? Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. We can rejoice in our suffering because we look to Christ who shouldn't have suffered, but suffered on the cross so that we might obtain salvation of our souls. This is why we can rejoice. Because as we go through our suffering for a little while, we have salvation, eternity with Him. And friends, if you struggle to do that practically, perhaps one way is to go to the Psalms. The Psalms are full of suffering and rejoicing. Psalms 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist is in the deep valleys of trials, but what is his response? He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a rejoicing. 
rejoicing knowing that when he looks to the Savior, the Savior will guide him. So friends, practical point number one, look to Christ in your suffering and he will cause your heart to rejoice. Practical point number two, and I'll end after this one. Not only is Peter telling us to rejoice in our sufferings, but Peter is also showing us how we approach people who are suffering. You know, I don't know about you, but I find it really, really difficult to know what to say to people who are struggling. I don't know if you do as well. Well, here's what Peter does. He commends them of the joy that they have in Christ. This is important. Peter is not exhorting. He's commending. It's different. I'm going to overemphasize a little bit, but this is exhorting. Friends, love him. Believe in him. Rejoice in him. And I think when we're going through suffering, that, that kind of tone is probably not what you want to hear first. And I'm at fault at this. You know, my feeble attempts at times to encourage Rebs using godly doctrine. It's like, read the Bible more, you know, pray more, fast more, love him more. I'm not saying that that's bad. There is a place for that, definitely. But what I see here is Peter. He is commending. I think the tone is more this. Though you haven't seen him, friends, you love him. It's like saying, even in your suffering, you know what I see? That you love Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. It's like saying, in your suffering, I know there are times that are hard and the refining is difficult, but brother, sister, you believe in that, praise God, and you rejoice in that in a way that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Can you, can you see the difference? He's commending. He looks for evidences of grace in their lives and commends them. And all his commendations are all centered around Christ, the love of Christ, the belief in Christ, the joy in Christ. And so, friends, if you know a fellow saint who's going through suffering, our main aim is not to help them feel treasured, nor is it to pressure them to do more, but rather to help them treasure Christ by commending them. And as you do that, the Spirit will enable rejoicing in their hearts. Commend them. To conclude, I know some of you who are sitting here right now are going through certain trials, big or small. But friends, through our passage today, we are reminded that his sovereign hand is over that specific trial of yours. And he's doing it to refine your faith in him. And so as you go through them, look to Christ, our Savior, who will help you and give you the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in him and him alone. Let me pray. Father God, 
We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for the hope that you have given us that is established and guaranteed and guarded for us. And so, Lord, in our sufferings, in this we rejoice. May we rejoice in our sufferings because of who you are and what you've done. Looking to you, Christ our Saviour. And Lord, may that be what brings us joy in our hearts, even in the midst of our sufferings, O oh Lord. And all this we pray in your precious name. Amen.